the day after the snow dump. Bump, bump, bump. Dramatic reverb. 22 centimeters of snow in Winnipeg, and I see that uh, Minnedosa, your place, 30. The snow champion of Manitoba. And there's a, there's a three-way tie. <laughs> Minnedosa, Erickson, and Stonewall all had Yeesh. 30 centimeters, followed by Woodlands with 29. I have one question for you, Brett McGarry. Okay. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Do a little digging yesterday? I, I did have to little, do a little. I was wondering where you're going with that. <laughs> I did have to do some digging. Yes, indeed. And, uh, and uh, Jerry had to do three and a half hours of digging, he tells me, okay. to do his driveway. Here, I had this interpretation impression you lived in some sort of small house somewhere. What do you have, like a two-mile-long driveway? No, but, I mean, uh, it's the nicest-looking driveway on the block now. Mm, of course it is. And I can uh, get in and out of it no problem. I actually did. I I shoveled part of the the road as well in front of my house so that when I'm coming out, I don't get stuck. Ah, uh, yeah. I was awoken about midnight yeah. of the sound of. <laughs> Someone was clearly stuck on the front street. So we're gonna have coffee and talk about our snow adventures a little more in depth. Yep. At about 6.40, see what I did there? Yes, about 6.45. Uh, your tires get deep in the and snow. Deep and Yeah, anyway, we'll have that discussion <laughs> later on. Uh, we did essentially nothing but talk about snow on our show yesterday and the ramifications of this uh, large snowfall. And, you know, on the way in today, it was like it had never happened on the main thoroughfares. Of course, the side streets are still clogged. Uh, but on the main thoroughfares, you had never known we had 22 centimeters or more in some parts of the city. Yeah, they did a great job cleaning the cleaning up yesterday. I know that uh, the my feeder street had already been plowed when I got home yesterday afternoon. And then it looks like they took another pass at it and, and did a sort of cleaned it up, cleaned up the, the curb. Along the curbs, so that was nice. I was concerned I was going to get stuck getting out of my back lane, but I made it okay and was able to sort of take a run at it and and go in because there was no traffic, so I didn't have to worry about just plowing into the street. Uh, but that, that was a little stressful, but yeah, it looked great. And on the drive home yesterday, too, the streets were super wet. Like, there was, uh, there was a big puddle underneath the underpass on uh, Route 90 just going under Portage. Yeah, and apparently the Pemina, bottle, but, apparently uh, Pemina uh, Jubilee underpass was under a considerable amount of water. That's a bad spot, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's why they're spending about $30 million of that $400 million they're spending on that rapid transit corridor on that new underpass overpass uh, section there on drainage because it is a, a genuine problem when we have heavy downfalls. Hey, Guido Amsel, uh, not in the news, but has had some interaction with... Uh, with uh, Global News. We're going to play some of that later on this morning. You'll want to stick around for that. Breakfast with the Blue Bombers. Bombers, very active in the community over the winter. Uh, we've been talking about them in our a couple of winter specials on the field that we're going to talk about what they're doing off the field. And Shattering Glass, Winnipeg's Women, I know you have been working so hard on this, Brett McGarry, as uh, have many of, the com- of your compatriots, about half of us here at uh, Global uh, Radio 680 CJOB have been working so hard to uh, make this series a reality. What are we going to hear about today? So for Shattering Glass today, we have a, we're going to roll this out with a 
feature from Julie Buckingham. She is going to, well, first of all, let me just kind of give you the synopsis of what Shattering Glass is about. This is going to look at women living in our city. Though things have improved for women in the workforce, there are still large outstanding issues like pay inequity, glass ceilings, underrepresentation, the search for daycare, and of course, sexual harassment. So we're going to look at these things through the eyes of Winnipeg women. And today, uh, we're going to hear from Julie Buckingham. She did a, a, a feature on pioneers, on women who had to break into industries dominated by men. And then later this morning, we're going to speak with a retired police officer. Uh, Julie set that up for us, so we'll have that conversation after 9 o'clock on 680 CJOB. And then Jeff Courier at 10 a.m., excuse me, he has a panel of people who uh, work to recruit women into male-dominated fields. And that's just uh, today is the tip of the iceberg. We have all sorts of content throughout the week. Tomorrow, I actually, and I'm excited to roll this out because uh, I, I decided... Like one of the things I noticed, and this is actually kind of one of the precursors for this series, is that I thought about all the various young entrepreneurs we've spoken to over the last year and a bit, and it kind of hit me that many of them, I would say the majority, are women. And I thought, well, we I should probably do something with that. And then I, then it, I kind of raised an eyebrow and thought, three of them work at pastries. They sell pastries. <laughs> so I could go see them and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, they happen to be some of my favorite I guests. I see what's going on here. And I could feed myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it was an opportunity to visit them in their place of business. Right. Well, because everybody comes to see us. So it was right. nice to go. I had never been to these places. So we'll tell you about that tomorrow morning. Uh, but lots of exciting stuff today. Mackling McGarry in the morning with you until 10 o'clock today. Sam Nunberg, I don't know if you know that name. I don't know if you knew it 12 hours ago. He's former aide to Donald Trump before and after the election, apparently well before the election, as we will hear in a minute or two. He's become the apple of not only Robert Mueller's eye, but also the darling of the cable news networks and Twitter. Special counsel Robert Mueller has subpoenaed Nunberg to appear in front of a grand jury as part of the Russia probe. Nunberg started the day suggesting he would have nothing to do with the grand jury. Ended the day saying he would end up cooperating. Last night on Stephen Colbert, seen on global television, Colbert gave us the rundown on Nunberg's afternoon. Nunberg took over cable news like a car chase. He was on MSNBC at 245, CNN at 330, and CNN again at 4 o'clock. I believe at 5 he called into HGTV. To incriminate himself on flip or flop. I'm pretty sure after Mueller gets through with him, it's going to be flip. Now on... Is that the full clip? Is that the full Katie Turk clip? Now, on, on the CNN, he revealed who is to blame for this whole Russia investigation. Donald Trump caused this because he's an idiot. Because he decided to give an interview to Lester Holt the day after he fired James Comey. And then he decided to have the Russians in the Oval Office. You have to explain that one to me, because I'll never understand it. Oh, I can explain it. He was colluding with the Russians. And he said it out loud, because Donald Trump is an idiot. But 
Nunberg didn't make himself look all bad. He made sure to distance himself from disgraced former Trump campaign aide Carter Page. They asked me about communications with Carter Page. Do you think I would communicate with Carter Page? I'm Carter guessing... Page is a scumbag. As opposed to communicating with Don Jr., who's a much classier scum briefcase. <laughs> and he is... He has made it clear, unequivocally, he is willing to sacrifice for his cause. Are you, you know you're what? actually willing to you go to jail what? for this? Sam? I'm not cooperating. Arrest me. You know Mueller can arrest you, right? <laughs> That's like saying, eat me to Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Doesn't work out well. Doesn't have a happy ending for you. He's just gonna... He's just gonna marinate you. Following six previous visits to a variety of cable news uh, networks and outlets, uh, that was CNN's count, Nunberg sat down with Aaron Burnett. If what he had to say wasn't interesting enough, how he said it and how he was being perceived by viewers, especially those in the White House, sure was, to call the discussion bizarre might be an understatement. Well, you know, I was a campaign advisor from 2011 to 2015 when everybody was laughing at Donald Trump. So he for was Sarah, campaign advisor from 2011, so he was, he yeah, was thinking so about for Sarah, running for that long? It was that expensive? Yeah, I said for Sarah Huckabee to start criticizing me, I would say, and I know, what, I, I, and I know you may not like it the way I say it, she should shut her fat mouth. I because, don't like that at all. I find that you know, completely irrelevant. It's irrelevant, but I understand. But right, yeah, you can comment on the but she says I'm she bizarre. Says. I'm bizarre? Yeah, she, it's pretty bizarre what her, what her father does. That's, to me, it's pretty bizarre. Okay. Before, okay, we won't get into it. Fine. Okay. No, 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 no. I, I, I don't. I actually don't think she used the word um, bizarre. She said, "I think he definitely doesn't know that for sure because he's incorrect." I don't know. There was sure. no I, I don't know She's talking sure. about whether wrongdoing is. I don't think she used the word bizarre at all to refer to you. Just, no, just to but clear. but she had her people do it on background for for the interview. Okay, but what does her appearance have to do with it? I just, I just want to be direct about that. Oh no, no, I didn't mean. I didn't mean about. I, I, no, I meant that she should shut her mouth about talking about me. That's what I meant, not about her appearance. Okay, so, so look, I, I wasn't planning on asking about this this early in the interview, but because yes, you, you talked about her fat mouth, I want to I ask you about this because it is important. You've done six interviews in the past four hours, right? Six? You've been busy. Maybe six. Six is yeah. our count. Okay. So, so look, um, you know, bizarre was a word that some White House officials were using to describe some of your interviews. Nuts is another one. Okay, really? so that's where the yeah. word came from. So but that's you, probably where you got it. But you know, Aaron, but, but Aaron, I would like to, whoever said that to say it on the record. Okay, but let me ask you this. Yes. Um, because, you know, you, you, you talked about her fat mouth. You called her a fat slob in another interview that you did on New York One. Um, I reached out to a Trump ally before you came on to say, what's your, what do you think about Sam? What would you say? And essentially, this person told me, I just want to be direct because he's not the only one to say it. Yeah. You're drunk or off your meds. <laughs> At least half a dozen other CNN reporters have received similar messages. What do you say very, to them? That, I mean, is this a hit job or is there I, something I, I wrong? I, no, I don't care what they say. I think it's funny. You know what? I really could care less what the, what the Trump White House has to say about me. They have a president, as you know. What was your poll that you produced last week, Aaron? What is he at, 38%? You're talking about his approval rating. Yeah, his approval rating. So any of them... To criticize me. That's two minutes and 24 seconds of a 37-minute interview. That was absolutely unusual. Uh, Nunberg went on to say he hates Trump now and uh, also conceded he did view him as a father figure at one point. 
having coffee. I don't know if there's any coffee in this entire room, but that's okay. Thank you, Kelly Moore, for saving the integrity of the segment. He has a coffee mug. He's taking a slurp right now. Love it. <sighs> there's Kelly Moore. Welcome back, Kelly. Great to see you. We skipped having coffee yesterday with all the uh, hullabaloo and the uh, snowfall yesterday, all sorts of uh, conversation, traffic and weather yesterday. So uh, many of us still getting caught up with our shoveling, 22 centimeters of snow and most parts of Winnipeg yesterday. We've seen stuck vehicles. I'm sure there are many of you with sore backs this morning. Others coming to the rescue of one another. So let's talk about some of our stories over the past day and a half. And Kelly, I know you uh, have a little bit of jealousy for one of your neighbors at least. Oh, yeah, I was there shoveling my driveway. And at the urging of my wife, just little shovelfuls. Yes. <laughs> you know, don't be uh, having a heart attack or hurting yourself or anything. So I was just kind of picking away, picking away. And then I look across at the street and our neighbors, and they have four young kids. And I admire that couple greatly. I think the kids are all nine and, and under. Oh, and they, they are two parents who have it together. And uh, so there was a tinge of jealousy when uh, the neighbor moved her van, and along came the guy with the uh, the scoop on the front of his truck. Oh, nice. Cleared it out, and then just for the finishing touches with a snowblower. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've still got another, oh, hour or so of the guy was picking in and away, out. picking away. The guy was in and out in about six minutes? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I will not be jealous of my neighbors because they are heroes in, in my book. Now, only because it segues nicely, I will very quickly give my neighbor a shout out. He saved my boys a lot of work yesterday because when I got home, he had done a lot of the heavy lifting with his snowblower. He pulled it out and and cut a couple of different paths around uh, Jackie's vehicle in the driveway. So uh, it wasn't me who was thankful. It was the boys who had a genuine day oh. off of school yesterday, not a snow day. So uh, shout out to my neighbor. He knows who he is and uh, appreciate that very much. Shanley, you had a little bit of an adventure getting here this morning. Uh, well, I had a snow adventure in my own driveway. Well, I actually started yesterday coming home. I got stuck in my in my driveway. I had to shovel out. <laughs> I have a trusty shovel in my vehicle. I also have a tub of uh, sidewalk salt to use for traction. 15 minutes later, managed to get in. I was so proud of myself. My boyfriend comes out of the door from my house. Had no idea he was over. He's like, I'm taking a snow day and I'm here to shovel you out. Go home and go to sleep. And I'm like, I was... So relieved. I was so happy. And then this Aww. morning, he, like he shoveled out my car and everything. But then this morning, getting out into the lane, I got stuck. <laughs> and I, so I'm shoveling. And, and I have a very low car. And then shoveling and shoveling. There's that piece of bumper that's kind of hanging down and scraping against the snow. Managed to get unstuck. And then I got stuck again as I'm trying to get fully into the lane. So, But, I, but it wasn't as bad because at least I was three quarters out. And, uh, you know, and I was only half an hour late for work. Well, so you did, you did, you done good, kid. Yeah, well done. I don't think Shanalee's ever going to be a candidate to drive tap car. <laughs> <laughs> she is endorsing her own brand of snow tires starting yeah. next year, though. <laughs> Brett, you had quite the uh, adventure yourself yesterday. You know, you'd travel, what, 12 kilometers to get home or 10 or whatever it is. And in the last 100 feet are beyond negotiable. Yeah, it, I was surprised at actually how quickly it I got home. I left work yesterday afternoon at 3.15, and even with a stop at Safeway at Madison Square, I was in. I was within sight of my parking spot by 3.40. But the problem was that I, I figured it would, it would be difficult to get in. I, don't, I, I just drive a, a 
compact sedan, so it's not a beast in the snow. And just as I pulled up to my back lane, the guy who parks right next to me was coming to his spot from the other direction. So we it was like we were ap- approaching our spots from opposite sides. So I couldn't take a shot at it because I would have just held up traffic while he was having, because he had problems getting in. Did so they start I, playing the Clint Eastwood music <laughs> about this time? <laughs> well, what I had to do is I had to loop around because I couldn't just sit there and hold up traffic because I was on a, a fairly major street. So I had to loop around, took five minutes to loop around. And then when I got... Back to the back lane. It was almost like it was deja vu because he was pulling up to it again. (laughs) So I think what happened is he had backed up so that he could try to take a run at it, realized he wasn't going to get in. So when I came back the third time, he had gotten his way in, and it looks like he had stopped, gotten out, shoveled a little bit, just enough for him to be able to drive in. So I, I pulled into the lane, and the problem was, because there was a lot of traffic, I couldn't really take a run at getting into the lane initially because there's a fair amount of snow just getting to breach the mouth of the back lane. And then I've got the snow getting into my spot, which is on just an ever so gentle incline, just enough to frustrate me because my car, I think, is too heavy for its frame. I get stuck on a half inch of snow. It's ridiculous. I've had to get out and push, put my car in neutral and push it just so I could get it over a hump. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, and I ended up having to try to do that yesterday. I, I, I shoveled and then it would get stuck. And then I'd shovel a few more inches and then it would get stuck. So it took me a half hour. And I actually was concerned about my cardiac health, Kelly, because I, w- I didn't want to block the back lane. So I'm shoveling. Oh, you're going like crazy. Yeah. I'm just panting and sweating. I kind of realized slow down, man. You're going to kill yourself because I, I go for walks every day, yeah. but I have not done strenuous exercise for a long time. So finally got in, 4.15, sat down, relaxed, good to go. Man, oh man. There was not one single breath smash through all of this? Oh, there were many. Oh, okay. <laughs> every time I would throw a <laughs> load of snow against the wall, <laughs> smash, <laughs> smash. You know, I wanted to make sure that we uh, thanked a certain group of people today, and we just got a text message from one of them. Try being a home care nurse. Both, mm. uh, you know, working and parking and getting in and yeah. out of residential streets yesterday multiple times. Susan uh, sent us a text message. Susan, thanks to you and your cohorts for yeah. doing that yesterday. What a thankless job at the best of time. And then, you know, yesterday with all the added uh, uh, tribulations of uh, transportation. Of too. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody that was out battling. Jerry, three and a half hours of shoveling? Three and a half hours of shoveling. And you know what? At about uh, 15 minutes left in my shoveling, a neighbor came over. Hey, can I uh, give you a hand? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, 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 and he, he, actually, he, actually, he actually thought that I was stuck uh, at the end of my driveway, so he was coming over to help me get my car unstuck, and I said, "No, no, it's 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 fine. I'm not I'm not stuck. I'm just I'm just about done." And I pointed to my driveway, and he looked at him. Oh, yes, yes, you are. Well, I guess I came at the right time, and he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't ask if you had a cold beer in the fridge or anything. No, no. Are you a down to the concrete guy? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, mine was down to the concrete yesterday. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you look at that. Tickety-boo. And then you look at everyone else's, and they've got like these narrow things that you don't even know how they're going to open up their car doors. And then you look, mine is all wide open right down to the concrete. It looks beautiful. I love having minions. Boys, you missed a spot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you mentioned uh, the great uh, snowfall of 97. When you got down near the concrete yesterday, that snow did feel a little bit like sand. It reminded me of shoveling in 97. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But, okay. Yeah, yeah, at least on my driveway anyway, it was, it was all of the snow at the top was cold or uh, rather soft and, and heavy, but near the bottom, it felt a little sandy. Yeah. It was a series of explosions that had the city of Winnipeg panicking for weeks in the summer of 2015. Guido Amsel, the man accused of sending letter bombs through the mail, has been behind bars since his arrest that summer, charged with five counts of attempted murder. The trial against him wrapped up in December, but the judge has yet to make her verdict. While the 51-year-old waits for that decision, he's pleading his side of the case in the court of public opinion. Speaking with Global News in an exclusive interview from Headingley Correctional Centre, Global's Brittany Greenslade spoke with Amsel during those interviews. She joins us now on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning. First, we should note that the case against Guido Amsel is still before the courts, correct? That's right. This case is still in the hands of a judge who has not yet determined her verdict. That will likely come in just a matter of weeks. This was also an eight-week trial. Dozens of witnesses, not just experts, police, and other lawyers, but one victim, Maria Matusis, who lost her hand during one of those explosions. And beyond that, Guido Amsel himself took the stand as the only witness called by his defense team. Brittany, we know Amsel pleaded not guilty at the beginning of the trial, and now he's saying simply he didn't do it? Yeah, that's right. I spoke with Guido Amsel a few times over the course of about two weeks. Each time, he followed a similar story to what he said when he took the witness stand back in December, and Amsel says he's innocent. He claims police have arrested and charged the wrong person. Now, Amsel was charged with five counts of attempted murder and several explosions explosives-related charges after those letter bombs were sent to his ex-wife and two law firms in 2015. But the 51-year-old says he had nothing to do with sending any of the bombs. I'm innocent. So you had nothing to do with any of these letter bombs? No, I do not. I have nothing to do with these letter bombs. I'm not a criminal. I have nothing to hide. Now, Brittany, we often hear suspects and those accused of crimes plead not guilty, which Amsel did and continue to maintain they're innocent. But this just isn't a case of Amsel saying he's innocent. He's actually taking it a step further and claiming he was framed? Yeah, he believes this is all one big conspiracy theory against him. He claims that not only was his DNA planted, but there was a secondary pouch that he actually alleges was switched out. The second pouch has a a stitching mark on it. Uh, The the first pouch does not have it. You can tell 100% that this pouch is not the pouch what they found in office. Now, he's making some very heavy accusations against authorities and lawyers, and we want to say these claims were first made on the stand and were addressed and pretty much torn apart by Crown attorneys. Prosecutors said it was an explanation that was attempting to distance himself from the events or provide what they were calling innocent explanations to try to get the trial to believe that these things actually happened. Well, now it is all in the hands of a judge. Again, still no verdict in the attempted murder trial of Guido Amsel. Brittany Greenslate will have more tonight on Global News at 6. Brittany, thank you very much. Time now for Breakfast with the Bombers. It's brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Today we are joined by Kristen Kuma, Manager of Community Relations and Youth Football for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Kristen, good morning. Good morning. I understand you uh, just got back from some sort of an outreach trip. 
Yeah, uh, we did. So we had Thomas Miles and Matthias Gosen, two of our players. Uh, Thomas Miles is actually a Manitoban himself. Uh, and they're here during the offseason and they're busy doing all sorts of community things. So they just got back from Snow Lake, Manitoba last week. They were there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Maybe they should have left the snow in Snow Lake, just saying. <laughs> it might be their fault, yeah. Um, and so what they were doing out there was uh, participating in their Frontier Games. So this Frontier School Division does an interscholastic kind of Olympic Games. Cool. Um, yeah. And so they were there, but they were there to present on uh, our two programs, Bombers Tackle Bullying and Break the Silence on Violence Against Women. So they were. there's about 400 kids there from all over the region and they part- they participated in both of those sessions, and then they uh, also the players were hanging out and getting to know what those Frontier Games are all about. Oh, that sounds like a, a lot of fun. Did you make the trip as well, Kristen? I didn't get to, no. Okay, so no. we won't, won't uh, bug you about what that was all about. But while you're here, I'll give a shout-out to Faith Akakati. got out to read during I Love to Read month last week. Uh, Faith and I went to Governor Semple School yesterday and read to a couple of dis- different classrooms there as well. So I know the Bombers are so active in the community, including... Bombers Tackle Bullying. What's that program all about? Right. So that program is a program that we partnered with the Canadian Red Cross. They're Beyond the Hurt program. And so we go out to different elementary schools, K-8 schools, uh, and we reached about so far, I would say, the last two years, about 5,000, 6,000 kids in Manitoba with this. Um, and there are assemblies that your school can have. Uh, and then we talk all about what it means to be a good friend and respectful. And we talk about the pink shirt day and how important that is. Uh, and then after that, there's a little, a little Q&A and meet and greet and all that kind of fun stuff, too. Hey, uh, traffic heads up here. We heard a few moments ago that the lights are out at Nairn and Chester. And now we're hearing lights flashing red in all directions at St. James and Sargent. Again, St. James and Sargent, lights flashing red always. So so treat that as a four-way stop. Uh, Kristen Kuma, Manager of Community Relations and Youth Football, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It's Breakfast with the Bombers. You mentioned break the uh, silence on violence against women as part of uh, the trip to Snow Lake, Manitoba. And uh, But there's going to be more visits coming up in uh, this week and next, right? Absolutely. So, uh, so we've already done quite a few this year. So, And we're starting to keep, we're going to keep going with those as well. Um, so, so far in the last two years, we reached almost like 10,000 kids, which is about a quarter of high school kids in Manitoba right now. So um, that's a program that's really important to us. It's about how to have a healthy dating relationship. It's about all the different kinds of abuse you can see. And it's really just about keeping kids safe when it comes down to it in the end. So our players are trained on the program. They've uh, been delivering the programs. It's Thomas Miles, Thomas Miles and Matthias Gosen are doing some of those coming up. And that's a program in partnership with Manitoba Status of Women and the Canadian government as well. When you take a look at the response from those students, 10,000 in total, I know when I was in high school, anything that any of the Blue Bombers would have told me when I was that age would have been mm, like gospel. It would have been very difficult to ignore them. Absolutely. And, you know, these aren't really easy topics to talk about. We're out there. We're talking about things like consent. We're talking about things like how to have a healthy relationship financially or online and social uh, social media awareness as well. Um, so it's our players are well trained to deliver these messages, but they're not the experts. So they bring experts along with them as well to answer some of the more difficult questions. But in my experience, I've been to almost every one of these and you can hear a pin drop in those gyms when the, when the players are speaking about this issue. Hey, Mark's uh, CFL week. I see that you have uh, flag football events for kids. Uh, it's some sort of a fan fest. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so the CFL is coming to Winnipeg. There, we're ho- we're hosting the second ever Mark CFL Week. Last year it was in Regina, so this year we're expecting an even bigger turnout than what they had there. Of course, uh, uh, a lot of the most of the events are free to the public, uh, and they're downtown at the RBC Convention Center. Um, and so there's all sorts of things. There's a girls' flag football clinic that's happening. So that's on the Thursday, March twenty fourth, third. And so what you can do is you can go to markcflweek.com. Figure out all. There's so many events happening. There's a fan fest. There's a Blue Bombers tailgate party on the Friday night from three to six p.m. That's the Friday leading into spring break. If you have kids, that's the uh, then then that whole weekend there'll be things going on as well, including the CFL Combine, which you can come check out too. Well, let's tie that to the Blue Bomber Futures Kickoff Program. What is that all about? So that is a pretty cool program that we started this year. That's for if you have kids who are ages four to seven and you just want them getting out, staying active. It's an absolutely free program for participants. Uh, it's at the U of W Recplex downtown on Saturday evenings from 530 till 630. You just need to sign up. That's all you need to do. And then you can come to as many or as few of those sessions as you want. And the kids are really just running around, having fun, learning basic, you know, physical literacy skills, sort of focused on football. And then we have Bombers players head down there sometimes as well for surprise visits and cool things like that. Uh- uh, all the details for this stuff on your website, by the way, bluebombers.com. You got it. Now, the uh, there's also something happening tomorrow night that I understand, Winter Skill Development Camp. Yeah, so uh, it's actually tonight. So on oh, Tuesdays, pardon me. yeah, tonight. No, that's okay. On Tuesdays and uh, Saturdays, we have a program that is for high school aged athletes. We have about a hundred athletes registered right now, but anyone can sign up at any time. Um, and it's a program where certified coaches take over either a gym or the University of Rec- University of Winnipeg RecPlex for those two sessions. You just drop into as many sessions as you can make, and you're getting certified coaching from coaches around the city. So if you want to try out for your high school team this fall, or if you're already on the team and you just want to work on your skills in the offseason, that's a great program to check out too. Now, I bumped into one of my old uh, coaches while I was in high school the other day, Coach Krochak from River East. I played for Daniel Mack, but Coach Krochak was always really good for me. The high school Combine, that's why I bring up my high school days. First ever being held this year as part of Mark CFL Week. What's that all about? That sounds super exciting. Yeah, so we want to give high school students the chance to try out what it's like to do a combine. Wow. So for those people who are going to be keeping an eye on the combine as it's here in, in, for Mark CFL Week, high school students are going to have the chance. All they have to do is sign up, and uh, they'll get a chance to go through the different events for fun um, and then clock their times as well. We'll be keeping track. It's the Sunday morning of Mark CFL Week, so March 25th from 9 to 11. All you have to do is log on to bluebombers.com, sign up for free and then you can try your hand at that too and just for those that don't know what the combine is you'll do like a 40 yard dash you do uh different weight uh repetition competitions jumping all sorts of uh different exercises to kind of gauge your athleticism really fun stuff Kristen kuma manager of community relations and youth football for the winnipeg blue bombers again all that information is available at bluebombers.com Kristen, thanks for joining us this morning thank you once again breakfast with the bombers brought to you by the cooperators find an advisor at cooperators.ca uh better place for you shattering glass winnipeg's women on 680 cjob it is time to begin our series that will go for the next four days here on cjob and with our friends on global television it's a series that's going to look at women living in our city through things that have improved for women in the workforce 
There are still large outstanding issues like pay inequity, glass ceilings under representation, the search for daycare, and of course, sexual harassment. So we're going to look at all of that in the coming days. It's uh, Detective Sergeant Kathy Antmitz. I'm Samantha Martin. I'm a carpenter with Boxall Construction. My name is Laura Lepke, and I'm a senior firefighter with City Winnipeg, acting as a lieutenant. For them, heading to work is just as typical for the rest of us. However, if you were to encounter them, you might be surprised to see a woman wielding a hammer, packing heat, or hauling a hose. As we approach International Women's Day, we decided to look at how work has changed for women here. Our day one focus of Shattering Glass Women's Work looks at stories of those working in traditionally male jobs. Here's 680 CGOB's Julie Buckingham. Despite the challenges you'll hear, these women say they'd take the same career path if they could do it all over again. But that doesn't mean it's been easy. Detective Sergeant Kathy Antimus's career started more than 20 years ago as a Mountie in BC. And the RCMP is an organization we know has been plagued with allegations of harassment and discrimination. I have heard it, I have seen it, and um, I have had to feel it myself. Whether that be um, with the RCMP, um, I'll have to say that it's not quite so much here, but um, it, it's out there. And uh, it, it's important that it's a conversation that's being had today. And uh, you know, hopefully we'll see some change for future generations. Did you feel comfortable in sharing what happened to you? Or were you one of those that just sort of tucked it under the vest and said, you know, I'm going to just tie up my boots and just keep going? I took a lateral move. It, it worked for me. That lateral move brought her to the Winnipeg Police Service in 2000, where she's been rising in the ranks ever since. Another vet with 23 years of work under her helmet is firefighter Laura Lepke. She told me a story of sexism and how she handled it long before so-called movements were there to back her up. And this other male firefighter, myself, were cooking burgers on the barbecue. And he just said, you know, this is a man's job. Well, I knew what he was meaning, but I said to him, I'm like, you know what, you're totally right. I hate barbecuing. Barbecuing is totally a man's job. And so he looked at me and he's like, no, what I mean is firefighting is a man's job. The woman's place at home and in the kitchen. And I said, I totally understand that that's your belief. I believe I deserve to be here. And he and I just kind of agreed to disagree a couple of years later. And he said to me, he goes, hey, are you still single? I said, well, yes, I am. And he goes, well, I have a son. And I'm like, well, please, like, tell me about him. So he was able to tell me all about his son. And, and then after he was done, I was like, well, does he look like you? And he goes, yeah, he does. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and, and that was just kind of my way of kind of like, oh, just giving a little shot back. So I, and then I said to the, the guy, I went, you know, I, I think it's hypocritical that I'm good enough to date because I'm a firefighter, but I'm not good enough to be a firefighter because I'm female. The first female firefighter wasn't hired until 1987. Today, there's only 52. The WPS has a longer history of women in the force. In 1916, Mary Dunn was the first official female constable here, but her work wasn't the same as a man. At the end of 2017, there were 226 women in the force. 
That's 16% of the complement and the highest proportion of female officers in the last five years. As the years did progress, both Lepke and Antimus had families. Antimus explained how being a woman made her return to the police force a challenge. I was still breastfeeding. I came back after six months. Um, my husband decided he wanted to have some, uh, some parental time, so I came back to work and he took the next six months. And, and um, so I had to find somewhere to express. And you know, I'm at work, I'm at work for 12 hours, you know, it, they're 10, 12 hours, they're, they're long shifts. And um, there was nowhere really for me to go. So I'm literally sitting on a toilet in one of the cubicles, you know, doing what I need to do. For Lepke, her pregnancy was about stereotype bursting. They were expecting, uh, you know, the tall, handsome, fit firefighter, male firefighter, and then a pregnant firefighter walked in. <laughs> and they were like, oh. Progress, though, is being made, which brings us to Samantha Martin, who's at the opposite end of her career. She's just become a Red Seal carpenter. With a company, she raves about being supportive of women. Stats show in 2016-17, there were 1,327 active female apprentices, 152 of them in construction. Martin bounded into our studio in her high-vis workwear and her little silver hammer earrings and told me being a woman is not what she focuses on, even though sometimes she feels she does have a little extra to prove to some she encounters. You'll be working alongside someone in another trade or whichever, and they just assume that you don't know or, you know, they kind of you can tell they treat you differently. And it's like, uh, it gets frustrating, but I really, I don't really let that bother me at all. Like, I also don't think about the fact that I'm the only female. Like, sometimes I'll go on site and there'll be tons of people everywhere and maybe I'm the only girl. But it never, like, that never really crosses my mind. I don't really think about it a lot. It's just, I'm here at work and so is everybody else. And what is she most proud of? making that little girl's dream come true. I said it when I was a kid that I wanted to do it, and actually there's a lot of people who didn't think that I would. And kind of even when they knew I was in pre-employment for carpentry, they were like, carpentry, really? Like, even people I went to school with when I'd seen them. So they're like, oh, and then probably like, oh yeah, she's not gonna last long there. But, I, you know, like, I completed my schooling. All three told me they'd encourage young women to strive to be in construction, policing, or firefighter. Should it be their dream, the world would be better for it. Thank you very much, Julie Buckingham. Round one of Shattering Glass, Winnipeg's Women. We will have more on CJOB.com. We will have more on the radio station throughout today and throughout the week, and as well on global television. It is 7.57 on 680 CJOB. For more stories, go to CJOB.com and search Winnipeg Women. One, two, three. Three things with Shanalee Vidal. Today it is three things that you may have missed because you were too busy with the snow. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Well, good morning, Shanalee. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing well but now that I finally got to work. Yeah, yeah. Your muscles look very muscles big. Muscles are strong. I'm learning about <laughs> shoveling and digging myself out when I get stuck. So I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. But I know yesterday we were all occupied with the, the snow. And that's what pretty much our entire show was about yesterday morning. Because that was our, our biggest story. And that's mm-hmm. what people needed to hear. needed to hear those updates on the snow. But there are, so there are a few things that you maybe you, uh, you might have missed. Like leftover from the weekend? Yeah, yeah. Now, I have a question for you. What color is your shovel? 
it, that it, you keep in your car. Uh, it's it's metal, and then the handle is is wood. It's not solid gold, like maybe in the shape of an Oscar statue. It is not, but okay. I'm go- I'm going to have to look for one. But I'm a little worried that uh, it might get stolen. Uh huh. Because that's what happened to uh, Best Actress winner Frances McDormand. She gave this amazing speech for her win uh, in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I have two words to leave with you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Inclusion rider. Amazing, inspiring speech. She actually got all of the female nominees who were nominated for an Academy Award to, to stand up. And then she was celebrating at a post-Oscar party, and, her, and someone takes her award. Not very nice. Not very nice. So video captured by the Associated Press appears to show a man who authorities say stole her Best Actress Oscar walking out of the official after party. It shows a man in a tuxedo. He appears to be 47-year-old Terry Bryant, and he's holding the Oscar statue highly and proudly as onlookers cheer and he's prominently holding the Oscar for the entire time. Now, LA police say he did have a ticket for for the uh, post-Oscar ball. He remains in jail on $20,000 bail and uh, by the way, after she got her Oscar back, Frances, McDormand publi- Frances McDormand's publicist said uh, she went out and orders herself a double cheeseburger to celebrate its return. <laughs> now, do, do, does this guy look anything like Michael Richards, like Kramer at all? <laughs> Reminds me of that episode when he walked off with a Tony Award and was flashing that around for oh, nice. days and days before they uh, recouped it from him. It's, it's funny. Just on a side note, when I was watching the Oscars, because there was that, that, that episode where Kramer was a seat filler. That's right. And so I... I was looking for empty seats. It's the same episode. That's <laughs> yeah, how he ends up yeah. with the Tony and so Award. So I was looking in the audience to see if I could see any empty seats or if there were seat fillers. On Twitter, they showed a couple of different pictures of life during commercials at the Oscars. It's quite frantic. One of these days, I'll have to get there. Yeah, it'll be cool. So our second thing you might have, might have missed is a little little mysterious. There is a possible UFO sighting near the South Pole. Yeah, jo- uh, Jeff was touching on this when we visited with him just before 10 o'clock yesterday. So alien hunters say they saw an image on South Georgia Island. That's a British territory with a population of 20 near Antarctica. They say the image could be that of a crash-landed spaceship, while others think it was just a rock that was pushed there by a glacier. Anyways, there's footage of the object online, and, and it's received more than 100,000 views. Wow. Wow. Nifty. Okay. Nifty. That also reminds me, I got I never did finish watching the most recent season of The X-Files, so I got I to gotta get to that. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for the... Yeah, no, Adding that to his list of things to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pile just, keep, that's just keeps growing. Did you growing. look at it? Have you seen it? I haven't the seen new, it. The new X-Files or the no, video? No, no, no. This I, video. Did, I did try and find the video. I just saw... Um, a little quick thing, and I, I can't tell. Honestly, are you a believer in that stuff? Or are you agnostic a, about it? I'm not a not. I, I'm a curious. I, I'm curious about it. I'm not going to say, oh, that's. I'm not going to rule it out, but I'm not going to go ahead and believe. All right. What's the next thing? What's your third thing this morning? The next thing is, uh, I know something that Brett has has tried is oh. uh, is becoming a quite trendy. One of Canada's biggest retailers is betting bugs are the next big thing in Canadian cuisine. That's right. I said bugs. Yummy! <laughs> Loblaw Companies Limited is adding cricket powder to its lineup of, nice. of President's Choice products. And Brett, I know you ate a cricket yes. a while ago. Yep. 
the crickets were they were actually pretty good they were they, they were dried crickets in a bag i can't remember what flavor they were barbecue i think and uh once you get over the fact that you are putting a bug into your mouth if you just kind of close your eyes and and you know, take a bite. It, it tastes just like a salty snack. <laughs> I imagine the, the the like the tips of the legs tickling your tongue or the roof of your mouth or something I, like that. I don't know, but I think you'd need a, a lot for a proper snack. But anyways, in a statement Monday, Lava says the uh, cricket flour is high in protein, packed with vitamins and minerals. Yeesh. Also, it has a neutral flavor, making it a versatile ingredient for many recipes. We'll have to probably have to talk to some bakers about this. You, and, you know some bakers. I do. I yes. do. And I'm going to have to inquire about this. Okay, they're actually they're actually sourcing their product from a farm in southern Ontario, and I think we may have some cricket uh, cricket farms here in Manitoba. I'll have to double check on that one. And the company says crickets are more sustainable than other forms of animal protein because they require less food and water. So we could see the. Uh, this cricket flour, cricket eating trend really take off. And it could happen. Cricket baked goods. You never know. Three things with Shanalee Vidal. Thank you very much, Shanalee. The segment is heard every day after the 8 o'clock news on 680 CJOB. Lymphedema is a chronic condition that affects about 300,000 Canadians, including our next guest, Brett. It can have serious consequences if left unchecked. Today is Lymphedema Awareness Day. Since 2002, Amanda Sobey has been battling this incurable illness known as lymphedema at the time of her diagnosis. Little information was known about treating this condition. She joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Once again, Amanda, great to see you. Great to see you. So Lymphedema Awareness Day is... Actually, I think it's good that we have this awareness because I don't. I bet you a lot of people don't know what lymphedema is. So why don't we start there? Sure. Um, actually, Kathy Bates, the actress, kind of put lymphedema on the map. She um, is our new spokesperson, mostly for the United States, actually, but it was for cancer. What people don't realize is that lymphedema, there's two different kind of categories. You can have primary lymphedema, which is genetic or hereditary, or you can have secondary lymphedema, which is most commonly associated to cancer. So women who have had breast cancer will get their lymph nodes removed, and then the swelling occurs um, based on the lymphatic system being compromised. Trauma can also bring on lymphedema, and uh, so those are kind of the two different categories as to how women and men can get the illness. Now, you've been battling this for 16 years now. Which category did you fit in, in terms of getting this and... And, and why you why you have it? Unfortunately for me, mine was based on trauma. Um, so back in about 2001, 2002, I had an incident that brought on the illness. And um, I was very young, and the doctors did not know much about it. So they just basically ended up doing the diagnosis, saying that this is the illness that I have. And uh, they said that there is no cure, and pretty much uh, said, have a nice day. And said that there's really not much that you can do about it besides daily maintenance, but you're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. And when you say daily maintenance, what, what would that incur? Just basically just, quote unquote, dealing with it? Dealing with it. Um, the other thing, too, that most people don't understand is that uh, lymphedema isn't really covered by insurance very well and or for medical reasons, um, financing the illness is quite costly. So your daily maintenance would require things like compression stockings, medical compression stockings, night garments at night, um, massage therapy on a daily basis. Like I could, if I could afford to have a massage therapist every single day, that would be 
amazing, but that's not realistic. Um, skincare maintenance and even just the simplicities of cutting your toenails properly to prevent infections. Um, it's kind of a full circle event of daily maintenance, and it can be quite rigorous, but uh, it is essential, and it can maintain the illness if you're diligent. Now, you are super fit now, actually a champion <laughs> uh, fitness person, so we'll get into that in a moment. But before we do that, you've brought in some pictures here to give us some context. So there's a picture that I'm looking at right now, uh, and this was in, again, 2011, I believe you said? This one right here? Uh, yeah, that oh. one's 2014. I didn't really take much pictures of my legs, but yeah, that's... Yeah, so what's happening in these pictures is her right leg, it looks like it's, I want to say, probably one and a half, maybe even twice as big as your left leg, uh, to put it in, in really basic kind of blunt terms here. It's all swollen up. What's going on there? Basically, the lymphatic system does not work. And uh, what the lymphatic system is responsible for, it's the removal of protein and waste buildup that your body produces. So it's any of the cellular respiration um, Sorry if it's all sciencey. It's the debris that your body is supposed to pass but can't pass. So it ends up collecting in your extremities. It can be in your legs, in your genitals, in your arms, in your torso. And it becomes very dense. And there's different stages from zero to four that will determine the severity of your condition. Zero would be kind of analogous to um, water retention or being puffy. So a lot of people will mistake lymphedema for just being swollen mm. um, and or to the aggressive part of stage four would be almost like a dense concrete. The proteins will completely chain, completely bind, and it's fibrotic, it's hard, and it's basically permanent and irreversible at that point in time. So I was in that picture about stage three, stage four, borderline to be almost written off, never being able to turn the illness back around again. So, you know, your story, your personal story is so incredible, and you decided to essentially take your life right into your own hands, and, and you, you you changed your, your life uh, dramatically. Tell us what you did. Well, I've had some very beautiful series of events along my journey. Um, I've been a single mom for pretty much since the kids have been born, and uh, that gives life a different perspective because if you're not healthy, you can't be healthy for your kids. I also have had the opportunity of working for a medical marijuana company as well here locally in Winnipeg. And uh, through the education and understanding of cannabis in itself, I am a proud patient of uh, Delta 9 Biotech where I do use this product as well too. And it just opened up a series of Understanding that through education and through health and never giving up, I have managed to modify my lifestyle based on my food, based on my exercise, and based on just the simplicities of certain components to really reverse my health, get myself back on track, and to um, be who I am today. So because of your exercise, do you like what are your symptoms? Um, exercising has to be done very carefully because if you do it in the wrong way, you will just typically swell more and cause more damage. Oh my. So like cardio, for example, um, just being aware of your surroundings, don't over doing cardio. Um, so basically it's monitored throughout my week, um, that it is part of my routine, but it's not to the extent where maybe someone who's running a triathlon would do cardio. Same thing with weightlifting. Um, you have to lift it in a way that it's very thought conscious. 
you're not out to try to be super, super woman and carry the world's biggest weight, but you do have to be conscientious of how you pick up the weights, how you utilize your muscles, doing micro movements to really squeeze and push that lymphatic debris out of your body um, and just doing it in a carefully way. That's basically how I got my legs back on track. So never mind just doing it. You have to be the word is conscientious at every turn in terms of what you're doing, how you're going about it, and being mindful of how your body is going to react to this. You're absolutely correct. Um, Every day that I wake up, um, my routine is different because I think about how I get dressed, how I wash my legs properly to avoid getting a scratch to prevent infection, putting on compression stockings in the morning, um, making sure that I'm eating the right types of foods to keep me healthy, even just wearing my night garments at night. Like I wear garments 365 days a year to keep the swelling at bay. So every step of my day is always thought about what can I do to prevent this or to at least minimize the swelling and the effects of it. And uh, it has been a very long journey. We got to wrap this up in a moment here, Amanda Sobe. But before we do, we got to make sure to give you uh, some kudos because some of the other pictures you brought in are of you winning a fitness event that happened in October at uh, the Pantages Playhouse. What is this event? That was uh, the Manitoba Amateurs Bodybuilders Association. Um, under a wing and a prayer, a girlfriend convinced me to go into the competition. And uh, sure enough, I won first place for the figure competition for my age category. And then I came third for the master's category where they would compete against just age. So I, I did really, really well for a beginner, and it was a very surreal experience, and uh, I look forward to competing in provincials this June. What an amazing story. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much. Amanda Sobe battling lymphedema today is Lymphedema Awareness Day. Uh, is there a website, by the way, if people want more information? Um, the Lymphedema Association of Manitoba, they're actually throwing a symposium this weekend at the Deer Lodge Learning Centre um, on the 9th and the 10th. That's Friday and Saturday. But uh, the LAM, as we call it for short, you can find their information online. They have a support group, and there's fantastic people there that spread the word to educate and uh Bring us, bring more recognition to this illness. Shattering Glass, Winnipeg's Women on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Our series, Shattering Glass, Winnipeg's Women, has kicked off today at 7.45. We heard Julie Buckingham's package on women pioneers in male-dominated industries. We actually saw her as well on Global News Morning a couple of times today. Now we're going to expand on that topic that she kicked off. Kareen Scott is our guest, retired police superintendent, and she joins us live on 680 CJOB. Kareen, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. So what made you decide you wanted to be a police officer some 30 years ago plus? Well, back it was back in 1981 when I joined the service. But um, when I grew up, my parents really wanted me to get a, a university education. So I did go and get my Bachelor of Commerce degree, graduated in 1980. But the profession of policing simply appealed to me. And uh, uh, there weren't a lot of women back then, but I thought I'd give it a shot. So uh I applied, and uh, there was a thousand applications for twenty-four positions, and I was able to get into the class of twenty-four. Were you used to being a pioneer? Is that something you'd done in other avenues previously in your life? I, I think it's just I'm driven. If I want to do something, I'm driven to do it. So and to try, there, uh, 
is is no uh, better success than trying. Even if you fail, you have to try again. So I was fortunate. I did get in on the first go around and uh, went to class in 1981 and then was uh, posted in the south end of the city in the District 6 station. So while you're doing your <laughs> commerce degree, um, which, is a, which is not an easy one to achieve, not that there are any easy ones, I guess, but... Still, you're you're going through this full program. How much was this in the back of your mind while you were engaged in that process? Yes, always in the back of my mind. I I wanted to try it, but if I didn't succeed in policing, I would have something to fall back on, so I could perhaps get into the banking industry, something like that. So, but this was my goal to become a police officer, and uh, and I did in 1981. Well, things have sure changed, right? The, the police services right across Western Canada have to recruit people and even advertise the RCMP. It's like, hey, we're hiring. We'd like to have you. And then you think back to the 80s. And I can remember uh, my friends uh, in the late 80s and early 90s who were working towards a career in policing. Uh, they had to get a degree because that was kind of the prerequisite. And yeah, you were talking about six, seven, eight, nine hundred applicants for a class for a recruitment class. Amazing how things have changed. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, you're 24 of a thousand. Surely one of the reasons you got in was just because you were a woman, right, Corrine? That's a possibility. And actually, that's an interesting point to raise because that was at times what was said to me when I was promoted because simply I got promoted because I was female, which was not the case. Um, you had to try very hard. I had a lot of good role models, a lot of good mentors, which were primarily men. But um, no, I didn't get promoted because I was female. I got promoted because I was the best person for the job. So how much of that kind of inter-office discrimination then did you have to deal with over the years? You know what? Things were really subtle. I didn't have a lot of issues with the discrimination piece of that. Um, I was fortunate. I met my husband, who was a police officer, who also worked in the south end of the city. And shortly after I joined, we started going out and we've been uh, married since 1985. So I I didn't feel a lot of that discrimination, but I know it did get back to me a couple of times on promotions that, well, you got it. They had to promote a female, so which is not the case. I would hope that any organization would promote the best person for the job, regardless of whether you're male or female. So when we look at organizations that have had a challenge historically, let's say, of of having a gender equality within the within that industry or within that field, do you realize, or does it look when you look back on it, could you understand why there were more men than women? What was what was the dividing line? What was the threshold when to to make those in the police force go? Uh, we don't need to just hire men. It's funny. When I started, there were just a handful of women. There weren't a lot of women. Um, I was the only, there was a woman and another, myself and another woman in the District 6 station at that time. Um, and the service at that time would have been about a, a thousand members strong. So not all divisions had women in them. So when you, when I was young and I was really interested in the job, you were interested in doing the job and doing a good job at it. It's when you reflect 10 or 20 years from that point in time where you realize, wow, there weren't a lot of us around. And um, early in my career, my goal was to, when I became successful through the ranks, was to mentor and encourage and help out other other men and women in, in getting things like promotion or, or being a, a support person for an officer, whether you're male or female. So I think you have to see when you look at the fact that there are not a lot of women in the organization 
the women that are there really have to stand up for each other and make sure things are equal and to prevent any sort of harassment or discrimination. Uh, and that's our job, to look after each other. In studio with us, Kareen Scott, a retired police superintendent, has joined us live in studio on 680 CJOB. And Kareen, uh, even though you had a long service with the uh, police, 31 years, and uh, thank you for that service, you, uh, you haven't just, uh, you didn't move to the Bahamas and retire. You just kept on working, right? That's right. That's right. I'm Right now I'm Director of Compliance for the Liquor and Gaming Authority of Manitoba. What does that job entail? It entails all the liquor and gaming inspectors, uh, investigators, and audit department. For um, our, our mandate is to ensure that licensed premises are licensed and uh, inspected appropriately in the province of Manitoba. So, when you work your way up to uh, rank of superintendent, uh, give us an idea of the different levels uh, of ranking within the, uh, the Winnipeg sure. Police Service, and 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 at superintendent level, what does your job entail at that point? Well, I started off as a constable in the south end of the city, so I was there for five years and then transferred into the vice division where I worked drugs for uh, about eight years, undercover and drugs for the majority of that time. Uh, I was promoted along the way to patrol sergeant, the first uh, rank uh, of sergeant, and then uh, sergeant, staff sergeant, inspector, and then superintendent. So the last eight years of my uh, career with the Winnipeg Police Service was on the executive of the Winnipeg Police Service as a superintendent, and I covered three portfolios over those years, uh, one being support services, so everything support to an organization like training and human resources, things like that. And then uniform was my second portfolio, all of uniform in the city of Winnipeg, and finally all the plainclothes areas as uh as the superintendent in charge of investigative services, and that's where I retired uh, from that position. Now, I imagine the fact that you worked vice would have given you a lot of credibility as you moved up the the ranks. That sounds like a, a fascinating uh, area of work. What can you tell us about that and, and uh, when you did it? There, there's two accomplishments I'm really proud of, and that's one of them. It, because the vice division uh, and drugs in those days, there weren't a lot of women officers. So it was relatively easy to go in and purchase illicit drugs from homes or street corners or licensed premises. So um, it's a part of my career I really enjoyed because I had a lot of fun. It was a challenge to do it, sometimes stressful, but uh, I really enjoyed my that aspect of my career. I had a great time. You said that it was one of two accomplishments. Um, the second was I was awarded the Order of Manitoba back in 2009. So I'm actually the only police officer from the Winnipeg Police Service to be awarded the order, and I really cherish that. Okay, now we have to ask you: What's the backstory there? What, 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 what? Why did someone nominate you for that? Um, and you used the word earlier, and that's I was kind of laughing to myself. But you used the word pioneer, so I was a pioneer of women in policing, and I uh, was nominated for that uh, award and received it back in two thousand and nine. Well, you should be very proud of that. That's uh, outstanding stuff. So when when you look back at your time and you compare the the job. You know, as you know it now, you must know some folks that are still on the force. Uh, it, it It's changed a lot, hasn't it? It's really evolved. <coughs> Excuse me. It's really evolved, but it's, uh, it's like any job in any organization. It evolves over time. So... Um, we, we, in my day, there were, there were fights and stabbings, things like that, domestic disputes, but it's really evolved to a lot of gangs and shootings and now white collar crime, a lot of technological crime. So 
things have evolved, um, but that's the way of the world. I think it, every job evolves in every organization over time. Did you ever have to? We talked about uh, discrimination in the in the office, but in terms, of, you know, as a police officer, you deal with a lot of bad people. Um, did the fact that you're a woman ever come into play in whatever words they might hurl at you in their anger? Um, I think I faced the same as any man did with respect to insults and swearing, that kind of thing. Um, as a woman, you really had to prove yourself. You had to work hard and do your job well. Uh, but I was backed up by many wonderful men and women on the job. When you called for help, they came, just like when they called for help, I came. So as long as you had a good relationship with your shift, you knew uh, everybody knew you could do the job, um, I didn't have any problems on the on the service when I was in the operational areas for sure. Do you have any recommendations for women wanting to, who are maybe thinking about being a police officer, whether they're younger or older? I, I think the career of policing is is a very noble profession. I think women or men, women especially, I know our numbers are down in the service. Uh, we could always use more women. It creates a very balanced, diversified group within an organization. And do your passion. If you want to be a police officer, be a police officer and work hard, get a good education, apply to the job. Uh, if you get on the job, really work hard, uh, find a good mentor, find people willing to help you. And uh, if you're a woman on the job, support each other because I think that's uh, that's important in a very male-dominated profession. Did you bring something, a different perspective, maybe that was, we don't have to say necessarily uh, later appreciated, but that you brought to the job that because you're a woman, you brought a different perspective in terms of dealing with certain situations? Perhaps. I have a different group of people, but interestingly enough, I have probably 50-50 men and women and maybe even a couple more women than men. So it's very balanced, dynamic that way. But I think my policing career really lent itself well to the new position I'm in because of my experience, yes. Retired Police Superintendent Corrine Scott, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, I know it's been a few years, but congratulations on uh, the Order of Manitoba for being a pioneer in thank policing. You. Thanks very much. For more stories, go to cjob.com and search Winnipeg Women. Right now we want to go to Hamilton for a couple of topics, actually. One of them is uh, something that we like to do here in Winnipeg, where residents are being encouraged to shop and show their support uh, for affected businesses by spending cash. And it has to do with the situation uh, where masked vandals caused up to $100,000 in damage Saturday night. They appear to have been organized and likely planned their actions ahead of time. Around 30 people assembled in a city park before marching down a busy street hurling rocks through shop windows and at people's homes. Inspector Paul Hamilton says the act was not random. I would say the way it rolled out, the fact that we didn't have any uh, forewarning of anything happening uh, and the way it was done is, yeah, there's uh, some uh, organization to it. Police in Hamilton are appealing to the public for any video and information that could lead to the identification of the black-clad rioters who marched down Lock Street this past weekend. Meanwhile, residents are being encouraged to shop their local uh, shop and support the affected businesses by spending their cash there. We are joined by reporter Anthony Urcioli from CHML in Hamilton. Hey, Anthony, thank you very much uh, for joining us today on 680 CJOB. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I guess let's start with uh, the fact that no arrests have been made 
Are is there any indication that uh, the police are close to what's going on? Well, I can tell you this: um, there is a group in Hamilton. I almost I hesitate to to give their name, but they're they're I mean they're a small group of, and they call themselves anarchists. And it's a group that's been tied to similar events. You know, here, here's kind of where the frustration is in this city. The events on Locke were, were horrible for sure, but things like this have been going on for years. Um, the, a group of anarchists that they have a clubhouse downtown here um, have been vandalizing properties. They say it's in the name of gentrification, but it, it really it makes no sense. I mean, I don't know if it's misguided or we're just talking about people that are aren't that intelligent because the fact of the matter is that they are mostly vandalizing small business. And this has been going on uh, for a good year and a half. I'm involved with an organization called Try Hamilton, which is aimed at bringing investment to the city. Uh, we hold kind of these local events on, you know, up and coming streets in the area to, to bring, we bring investors in and to kind of get a look at it. Well, you know, this group doesn't like that. They've come to the events, they've thrown food on people smashed windows, vandalized cars. Um, there was a police officer that had his hat stolen by one of the members. And this was two years ago. So I think the frustration that's boiling over in the city from people is that this is not a new thing. Yes, Saturday's events were w- worse in the scale and in the damage, um, but it's been percolating to this point. And that group I mentioned, the anarchist group, they, maybe by complete coincidence or at some coincidence, um, they were holding an anarchist book fair at a local school that same weekend uh, in the city. So people from out of town, you know, fellow anarchists uh, were in town as well. So there's a link there only because the tower, which is what they call themselves, um, the tower was asked specifically about the event and if they knew anything, and they keep saying no comment. And they made a Facebook post last night warning its members not to snitch. So, I mean, there, there's a link there, and, I'm, and the police have known about the tower for a while now, and I'm sure that's where they started. Um, but in terms of getting actual details from the police, it, it's been fairly scarce to this point. Anthony Urcioli joins us from CHML in Hamilton. And for those of us that don't know uh, Lock Street, is that the major uh, street of commerce in Hamilton? Can you give us a little bit of a geography lesson, Anthony? Yeah, so Lock Street is kind of, you know, when downtown Hamilton was a place that everyone avoided uh, for many years, Lock Street was the first in its resurgence. Um, it's Again, it's just, it's, it's a, not a main street at all, but it's kind of a side street with a lot of local shops. Um, all there's, there's a Starbucks there, but I mean, that's one of a corporate brand that's there. The rest are just small businesses. Um, you know, there's a dog cafe you can bring your dog into. There's a lot, you know, there's, there's vegan options. There's, it's literally something for everybody. So I think they, it, it was very calculated in targeting lock, which was kind of the resurgence. And I guess some would see it as gentrification, but, um, it, it that's why they chose that street. So yeah, that's why lock was the target. So the, 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 this group, one of their stated causes seems to be to rally against the gentrification of this part of Hamilton. Yeah, and I, I hesitate to do that because it almost gives them it's it, it's a cause they claim. Right, right. The reality is it, it, they can't they claim it, but it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the reality is on that street, and not that I'm advocating anything happening to Starbucks, but they skipped Starbucks and they smashed again. 
they vandalized a little coffee shop. It's a dog cafe that you can bring your dogs into. They, they, they smashed the windows of a bakery that specializes in whoopie pies. I, I mean, they avoided, you know, they didn't go to Walmart or, or Starbucks or any of this big, you know, they call themselves the ungovernable. I don't, I'm not sure your point is coming across when you vandalize small businesses that are really aren't making that much money to begin with. So, Anthony Urcioli from CHML in Hamilton, uh, one of the things that's uh, been really big in Winnipeg for the last few years now, and it, it's really gaining momentum, is to shop local, support local, buy local, love local. And these businesses, these local businesses, uh, do you think that the community will, in fact, rally to support these local businesses that have been targeted by these thugs? Yeah, you know, and prior to this, these shops, you know, Lock Street is, again, it's a, it's a booming street. So the businesses on that street have always done well in terms of just foot traffic. And, and it was, I, I was there, I live a block away. So um, I was actually walking my dogs uh, when it happened. I didn't see it, but I, I heard the commotion. But um, so I frequent there. It's it's a very busy street. So supporting, you know, shop locals, definitely a, a large movement here. Um, Lock Street was already part of that. Um, but now it's even more so. I, I went the next day, you know, there was glass everywhere still. There there was smash windows. And yet there were still lineups of people in the stores, you know, around the block, just there just to spend money on a coffee to kind of give back. So um, that's already happened. And we have a day plan. Our, um, Andrea Horvath, who is the Ontario NDP leader, she is from Hamilton. Um, this is her local riding. And she started a organized a love lock day um, that was announced the day after the event. And so that's this Saturday. CHML is doing a live broadcast from Lock Street as well. So um, certainly everyone's stepping up to, to kind of help those businesses out. And even just the kind of the, the mood around here, um, Monster Donuts, which is one of the more popular spots on Lock Street. Um, they just came out with a donut. They made little glass shards made out of little <laughs> made out of lemon glass and they sprinkled their donuts with these glass shards that are actually sugar so yeah you know th- that's kind of the mood around here at this point so the rebounding is uh, maybe even under an understatement Anthony, before we let you go here, for a lot of us, uh, my brother-in-law lives in Hamilton, so I have a, a little bit of a knowledge of what's happening there but for a lot of us, the only thing we see of Hamilton are the Tiger Cats and you know when the Blue Bombers are playing in Hamilton tell us about Hamilton and and it's uh, overall turnaround and how things have been going uh, in your community for the last decade or so yeah well I mean I can tell you firsthand I, I live downtown which is something I would have never done growing up so I mean that that, that kind of summarizes what's happened here um, it's you know, it's uh, everyone kind of knows Hamilton as the steel town. That is not the case anymore. I mean, we still have factories, but that that's kind of a small part of it. Art is the new steel has been the slogan over the last couple of years. Um, so the art scene is booming. Um, it's just it's it's been a complete mood change. The demographic it's it's younger downtown as well, and yeah, it just it's it's seen a transition, and it was forced to because it's you know being a steel city doesn't really work in this climate anymore, and it it it. it just it, it, we had to find kind of a new identity um so that's it it's character um it's art it's 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 had a resurgence out of necessity and everything's on the app which unfortunately you know listen no one's going to argue that gentrification and displacement isn't a real issue and that has happened in this city because of the resurgence downtown um but let's not pretend that someone you know a group of people going down the street smashing windows and cars and vandalizing they can say that's their cause, but their actions say differently. It's people that were looking to make 
you know, make trouble and get some anger out. And unfortunately, they, 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 they carry that banner of anti-gentrification, but they've never done anything to actually, you know, help that cause. So that's, that's why I hesitated at the start to call them, you know, an anti-gentrification group. But, uh, but yeah, that's where we're at. Anthony, I'm just looking at uh, Donut Monster's Twitter, uh, and I, I see it. It's, it says, when life gives you lemons, try our Make Lemonade Donut. And uh, it actually looks uh, uh, really delicious. So yeah. I kind of wish I was there <laughs> so I could try it. Just pick some glass out of your teeth. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. We appreciate your time on this and uh, look forward to getting an update on how things go this weekend as you encourage folks to, uh, it sounds like people are already stepping up, but uh, more of an organized effort to uh, have people step up and support these businesses on Walk Street. Thank you for this. Yeah, thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks to Behind the Glass Jerry, Chandelier Vidal, I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB. And then-